What's up, you guys? This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast with me, Liz Ryan, and this is episode eight. We got to talk about some of this coming back to work after coronavirus, COVID 19. After, that's the weird thing. Shutdown is being lifted in a whole bunch of U.S. states for no reason, right? Except we've got to get back to work. What did some government guy say today? Some official? I got to find this. He called us human capital stock. He called working people human capital stock. That's what we are. Like livestock. He said human capital stock is sitting around. Let's see if I can. Yeah. Yeah. Here he is. Hassett. I don't know where who he is. H-A-S-S-E-T-T. And he's smiling. Kevin Hassett. That's his name. White House advisor Kevin Hassett. Our human capital stock is ready to go back to work. First of all, Kevin, who did you ask? Who did you in, inquire of? Who did you consult before saying our human capital stock is ready to go back to work? Uh, yeah, not in an unsafe place, Kevin. I don't know anybody that feels like they want to go back to work if they are, let's say, working from home right now. They're not dying to go back on the train, on the bus, on the subway, get in their car and go in a crowded office. Who would? I'm happy that big companies are sending everybody home, you know, keeping everybody at home uh, for months or in some cases, you know, for the duration, just forever. But isn't it interesting, you guys, that it was, oh, no, everybody can't work from home all the time. It's so hard to you know, cultivate teamwork and camaraderie, all this stuff. As though you could ever have built teamwork when people were forced to be together. Isn't that bizarre? It goes against the whole idea of teamwork, which is that you allow it. You enable it just by creating an environment where teamwork would naturally flourish, which is, of course, an environment where people are comfortable and where they want to be and where they're acknowledged and valued and their input is taken seriously. So this idea that, yeah, we're going to force everybody to be in one facility together and then we're naturally going to get teamwork is another repugnant idea. But, but interesting how the veil has fallen now. Yeah, of course people can work from home. And New York uh, real estate, commercial real estate folks are freaking out, according to the New York Times, because they're fearing that there's just going to be this incredible drop in the number of square footage, uh, uh, square feet of office space needed. Like all the big companies. I think, I think J.P. Morgan Chase maybe was quoted, their real estate person, saying, I don't know if we need these millions of square feet of office real estate anymore. Maybe the bloom is off the rose with having white collar people come to an office when they could just as easily work, of course, from home. And, you know, stick a load of laundry in, wash a couple dishes, live their life. Maybe there's an office and you can go there when you want to. I think that's a great solution for a lot of people. Let me go to the office when I need to. It's nice to meet people in person sometimes, you know. That commute takes my mind off of home or alternately takes my mind off of work. I remember feeling that way a lot. Like, let me get in the car and go to work. Oh, my house is too stressful, right? Maybe that's a great solution for a lot of people is there's an office, but you don't have to be there every single day. But here's the thing that kills me. The general thing that, that I'm freaking out about this week is that it was so easy. It took a pandemic, a horrible, you know, brutal, fatal pandemic 
to get these companies to realize that it's not in their best interest to force people to come to work. But people like me have obviously been, uh, you know, writing, speaking, and um, agitating about this for years. And the whole idea was, no, 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 it's impractical. It's just an inability to get rid of the factory mentality, you guys. I have to see you in order to know you're working. You might be goofing off at home. Weird, though, we hire independent, you know, consultants and consulting firms like McKinsey and Booz, Bain, all of them, and they do their work. We pay them enormous sums. We don't worry about whether or not they're working, as well as independent consultants, right? I loved consulting in particular because you would get the project and you would do it on your own time, on your own schedule. That's the reason I started consulting is because I had little kids in preschool and I would have something in the book. I got to be at the preschool for some kind of event or meeting or party. And I gotta, I can't work in an office all day where they're not gonna let me do that. So I started consulting and I would say, oh, that time 10 to noon on Thursday is no good. How about two o'clock? Cause I was gonna be at preschool. And really who is anybody to tell you, you can't be at the preschool. It's very outdated, you guys. It's anachronistic. You're gonna go in a box, an office building, and you're gonna be there at 8.30 in the morning until six at night every day, you're a grown up. You should decide where you're gonna be at any given hour of the day. And the weird thing about salaried work in particular is that you're never done. People are gonna raise their eyebrows at you if you leave to go somewhere at 10 a.m., but also if, if they call you at 6 p.m. and you're home and you're not in the middle of working on something that they feel is urgent, it's a scam. And obviously I speak to you as a former Fortune 500 HR SVP, we just have to see the scammy nature of this stuff. And if we have trouble seeing it, just listen to this Hassett guy, human capital stock, S-T-O-C-K. You are live stock, eager to get back to work. Oh, baby. Mm. No, not into it. But listen, here we are, big companies saying, nah, it's just going to be work from home now. We don't need the office space. And Twitter... Of course, no. Let me not defame Twitter. Wasn't Twitter. Facebook. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Mark Z says, yeah, but, you know, if you're working strictly from home, 100% from home, and you move to a lower cost of living city, we're going to, you know, reserve the right to cut your pay. Now, think about this, you guys. You took a job in, in the Bay Area or you took a job in Seattle, right? Let's say, just for example. And they paid you whatever, because I think Facebook doesn't pay anybody less than like 200K USD. So you're making your 215K or whatever, and you decide, because you work strictly from home, to move where your parents are, or where there's a beach, or wherever. And it might be, you know, based on the data, a lower cost of living area. And they say, no, we're going to cut your pay. Like now the, the, the demand for money side, right? Not the supply side, like what they pay you based on what the market requires or what the market dictates, which is really how you should get paid. What's the market? Obviously the market for talent, when it's a virtual thing, could the person could be anywhere in the world. The employer could be anywhere in the world. That market is not local in any way, but they're going to say you move to a cheaper city and we're gonna cut your pay. Interesting. So now you're in my life, 
such that you're going to judge where I live. Oh, because you know what? The last six months I have an apartment in the center of San Francisco where it's terribly expensive, but I've been living out in Grass Valley with my girlfriend. You're going to cut my pay for that too, right? You're going to cut my pay if I get a roommate? You're going to cut my pay if I sell my house and get a condo, right? Or go live in a youth hostel? It's gross. It's gross. It's so Mark Z. To say, oh, we're going to get into your personal life and decide that where you chose to live with your own personal residence, that's relevant to us because we're going to cut your pay because the statistics are that, you know, the cost of living in that new place where you live is lower. What? Yeah, I could have moved three blocks away to a neighborhood that was a little more sketch and, and lowered the, my uh, lowered my expenses too. And then would you judge that and decide I don't need to get paid as much? This is gross. It's an inability to step into the post-industrial world. You would think the tech firms would be the first one to go there. If they thought your labor, your ideas were worth 215K to the company, why would they be worth anything less? Because your expense side went down, might have gone down, maybe didn't, because you bought a bigger house because you moved to a cheaper area, which is your privilege. It's a very weird classist thing to do. And this is the basic notion that we need to bust up, talk about first, examine, critique, and get rid of. You should get paid what the freaking job pays, regardless of where you happen to reside. But this is the mindset, you guys, and it permeates every aspect of work. Blue collar, white collar, pink collar, service industries, it permeates. And this is what I always talk and write and rant about. This idea, it is surf dumb. And I think this idea that where you move with your own little personal U-Haul, right, that you rented 50 bucks a day or an hour, whatever they charge for the truck, and you moved your stuff, oh, nope, we've put your new address into the computer and it is a lower cost of living area. Then why not do that to every employee right now? Somebody somebody works in downtown Chicago and they do an hour and a half commute out from, you know, the prairies. No, you should cut their pay. It's cheaper out there. It's absurd, right? It makes no sense. But this is the mindset. It is a factory mindset. It's about nothing more than exerting control and saving money. One thing I've written about a lot over the years is this idea that you'll go on a job interview, recruiter contacts you or you apply, you know, you see a job ad and you apply for the job and, and they like you and they want to hire you and they say, hey, we want to hire you for this job. The only thing is you're from outside the industry. You know, you're not really from the industry. So we got to pay you less. You got to pay me less? Yeah, yeah. We got to pay you less, you know, than we budgeted because you're from outside the industry. Here's what you do. In that situation, you say, oh, yeah, okay, I'm from outside the industry. So let me ask you a question. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah, sure. Ask me a question. Yeah, well, I know you interviewed me, obviously. I assume you interviewed some other candidates, right? Yeah, we interviewed some other candidates. Okay, fantastic. And, and may I ask, did any of those other candidates come from inside the industry? Yeah, well, I guess a couple of them did. A couple of them came from inside the industry. Okay, so great. So, so if industry experience were so critical, one would think you would have hired one of those people. But you didn't hire them with the industry experience, but you want to hire me. So it makes no sense. You would have hired them who actually you chose not to hire. You would have paid them the actual starting salary. But now you want to hire me over those people. So clearly industry experience is not the be all and end all. 
but now you want to pay me less? No, that's absurd. If indeed you want to hire me, you should pay me what the job pays. But we are not trained in that kind of logic or those kinds of scripts. We're trained to kowtow, to grovel, to beg for the job, you guys. And that's the reason why I talk about this stuff is to shake that toxic lemonade out of your veins. Coming in from outside of the industry is no reason to take a lower salary. You want somebody from the industry? Hire them. Don't hire me. If that's important, it's not true. It's just a BS way to save money. Exactly what Facebook is doing, saying if you decide to leave, there will, it will be invisible to us because you work remotely. You'll still be there online, available. You'll be on the Zoom calls, but you know we decided we want to pay you less. Well, hell, why don't you uh, look at my monthly budget then? Pay me less every time I you know, have a little more spending money. Anytime I save money any kind of way, you guys should get it back, right? No, obviously not. Makes no sense. You're getting the same value out of my labor. And this is what we got to be talking about. We got to break up the feudal F-E-U-D-A-L uh, system that we're still working under like, you know, 200 years after the Industrial Revolution. We're all CEOs now. It's, we're all responsible for our own careers. And I want to see things change. Of course, I want to see employment laws change real bad. I want to see employment at will go away and uh, everybody get paid sick time. And a lot of stuff has to shift. But there's another piece of that, and that is us personally, individually. We have to get stronger. We have to get used to saying no to the people that don't deserve us. And we need to take some risks. And that's another thing we've been taught, most of us, not to do. Okay, I got a couple questions to answer here. The first one is, what do I do? I'm job hunting, Liz. What do I do if they will not commit to tell me when they're planning to bring people back to the office? That's a really, really good question and, and a hard one to deal with because you're playing the odds, right? Are they going to keep us out longer? Are they going to bring us back sooner? Is it going to be safe? And am I going to be comfortable? Thing is, job hunting now during COVID-19 and the aftermath is going to force us to ask hard questions that we might have felt uncomfortable asking before. We have to do it now. We have no choice. One of the questions could be when. When do you expect everybody to come back? But they might not know. Your average middle manager won't know. And that decision, you know, could change. Probably the more appropriate question is what are your provisions for keeping people working from home longer if that's what they need, because there isn't a job that's going to be able to pay you enough to justify putting yourself in physical danger. It's absurd that it's even legal to just say, oh, well, we're bringing everybody back. That's how we want it. You don't know what precautions they're taking. I think I told you in episode seven that OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, has just now decided that, yes, employers have to report cases of COVID-19. That's it. Oh, that was a big thing that was fought. Why should we have to report? Uh, hello. I don't know. Maybe just because it might be relevant to people, but they have to report. I don't know if that's going to be made public, but they have to report it after some resistance, but they don't have to put in any particular safety precautions. Isn't that spooky? So yeah, you might have to ask like, how about someone continuing to work from home? Even if you don't like working from home, I would imagine that you prefer being in a virus-free environment to one that could be really dangerous. And I don't mean to be flipped. This stuff could not be more serious, right? It's very, very real. 
That's what I'm saying. The realness of the situation is forcing us to be real. It's forcing us to find words we might have had trouble, uh, you know, choking out before, to advocate for ourselves, to say no to people and situations. The whole idea that this corporation, this organization that's thinking about hiring you is so real and they're so buttoned down and they figured everything out. We know that's not true, you guys. We know that's not true. I am here to tell you. Startup, government agency, Fortune 500 corporation, doesn't matter. They don't have their shiz together. They just don't. Any more than any of the rest of us has. We, we've seen that demonstrated time and time again. And we have to operate under the assumption that we have to look out for ourselves. Okay. Second and last question for episode eight. Liz, what do you mean by cultivate an entrepreneurial mindset? Is that like intrapreneurialism? that I've heard about before. Okay, no. Intrapreneurism is kind of a made-up word. I guess all words are made up, though, aren't they? Having to do with bringing an entrepreneurial mindset to your work inside a larger organization, like being entrepreneurial inside a larger organization, right? And that's cool. That's fine. That would be being scrappy, being resourceful, coming up with new solutions, you know, whatever. Maybe being brash, maybe speaking your truth, which I'm a huge fan of, okay? All those things are great. That's really great. But that's still inside the palace walls. And that's exactly what I'm not talking about when I talk about cultivating, developing an entrepreneurial mindset for your own career. We still operate, unfortunately, you guys, under the mindset that doing your job really, really well is the key to something, to success, to job security, to, to career progress, whatever. It's just not your job, your task is to do your job really well with 50% of your available time and mental energy and in terms of, of, of your, everything you have outside of your personal life, your relationships, your health, right? Your creative expression, that's your personal private life. But when we talk about your work, you got to split up your available work-related Time and energy into two equal halves. Picture a pie split in half. Half of it, do your job really well. The other half of it goes to managing your career. Somebody said on Twitter, yeah, but what about managing your boss? Yep, you may have to manage your boss. A lot of people do. And that comes out of the 50% allocated to doing your job. Because obviously managing your boss is a subset of doing your job. There's, you got to save time for yourself. If you don't know where it'll come from, you're going to start cultivating that. Remember, was it Tim Robbins, Shawshank Redemption, and he carved out time to chip away, chip away at the little hole in the wall? Sorry if that's a spoiler. It's like a 25-year-old movie. You had time to see it, okay? No spoiler. Spoilers are allowed after 25 years. You got to do it. We abdicate. It's very dangerous, very damaging to us. Managing your career, what does it mean? Well, I talk about it in the book a ton, Reinvention Roadmap, but here's what you do. You know what you know how to do and who needs it. Apart from your current employer, who are their competitors for your time and energy? People get boxed up, they get messed up when they can't think of another employer that would hire them to do what they do well. That's bad. And you got to broaden the field or broaden your skill set. It's up to us now. Nobody is looking out for your career but you. You've got to know what kind of pain you solve for employers, 
right? Or consulting clients who might have that pain, what it costs them. You've got to know a lot that we didn't have to know before. My dad, so many dads, my dad worked for the same company 35 years. It wasn't even a topic. Maybe we sh I should change jobs. That was the cradle to grave thing. It's gone, you guys, and it's not coming back. And staying longer at one company does not increase your job security, makes you less marketable when you inevitably get out there. So now we have to raise up, we have to transcend whatever job we're in and look at the broader talent ecosystem, which very well might not be local, know what kind of pain we solve. Not, I have these skills, your majesty. I spin and weave and sew and card wool, your majesty. That doesn't add up to anything. And it also doesn't make you, it, it leaves you in this category. What did this jerk say? Oh, hu human capital stock unit. Okay. No, you are so much more than that. But in order to realize your power and feel it, and use it, you got to know more than I can do these things. I can do general ledger accounting and AP and AR. I can do this. I can do that. Tasks. Nope. You have to know what pain you solve, what kind of people experience it, how it shows up, and basically what it costs them because your salary or wages or consulting fee is going to be a function of that cost that you allow them to defray or that income that you allow them to get. You have to be an entrepreneur in this. Even if you never intend to work for yourself, you got to have that entrepreneurial mindset. You got to know how to negotiate and you have to know, have a network of people that can, that can talk about what you do and make introductions for you. You might think, wow, I don't have a network now. Well, it's kind of hard. It's a little bit hard to cultivate a network now if you're isolated during COVID-19, but that's okay. This thing is not going to last forever. And now I hope the urgency is there hunkering down, keeping your head low, trying to stay out of the line of fire and cling to a job is like the worst thing you could do. Because what happens when you do that? Your muscles atrophy and you get mired in fear. And when we get mired in fear, of course, we try to pretend it's not real and we distract ourselves with other things. Oh, I'm watching the fifth season of this great show or... You know, I'm, I'm trying a new exercise routine. All that stuff is really cool. But this is Maslow now. This is must happen. I got to have an income. Got to turn your attention to your own career, not just your job. Pleasing your boss is the booby prize now, you guys, because your boss could love your performance. And if there were a stroke of the pen and your boss was laid off along with you and 150 other people, it wouldn't matter what your boss thought about you. We have to get stronger. And the only way you get stronger is to confront the real world. Ask yourself, what would I do if this job went away? And if that makes you scared, I feel, I, I apologize for scaring you, but I don't because you need to be scared. You need to take this stuff seriously and be proactive about it, right? The worst time to job hunt is when you lose your job. So, so I want you to get that awareness, get that altitude, Look at the talent market around you. Know who the other employers are that could conceivably use your talents. Meet people. Join professional associations. Create some thought leadership, you guys. I know a lot of people hate that term, thought leadership, referring to bloggers and speakers and podcasters and authors, writers. But uh, I don't know any better terms. I asked on Twitter, hey, you guys have a better term than thought leadership. I know a lot of people don't like it. They think it's a corporate jargony term. Somebody came back and said, public intellectual. And I was like, gag me right now. That's even worse. So yeah, but your 
your content, your ideas shared with other people. You don't have to have a gazillion followers. Just getting what you think and how you see the world out there is sick. It's great, whether you're job hunting or not. If you're not job hunting, there's an even better time to cultivate your thought leadership because you're not under duress. You have a little, a little um, softness, you know, a little safe space to just say, here's what I think about this. Here's what I think about that. I'm a big zealot advocate for that, as well as, of course, entrepreneurialism, literal entrepreneurism, starting a consulting business, even part-time or in your job search, alongside your job search. You know, that, that, there's no better way to grow muscles than that. Going out and getting some work. Could be on the weekends, could be at night. Do it, do it. Me speaking to you right now, the original like died in the wool corporate Sally from 35 years ago would never have seen what I've seen and be able to talk to you about this stuff if I hadn't put a toe and then a foot and a leg and the whole bod into the entrepreneurial, you know, consulting realm. So pitch promo to finish up the podcast today. Our course, super popular around the world, launch your consulting business on sale right now. That sale's ending. It's been on sale a minute, but that sale's ending launch your consulting business. It's super cheap right now. It's going back to its regular price. So heads up about that. And here's one more thing. Leave me a voicemail message. If you want me to answer your question on an upcoming episode of the Truth About Work podcast, this podcast, 30, 40 seconds, it will be played. Your voicemail message will probably be played on the podcast and I'll answer your question. So if you leave a message, Be chill about what you say and your voice and all that because I don't know who's listening to it, right? But here's the number, 303-834-7549. And if I play your message on the podcast, you get something for your trouble and that is one of our courses, one of our virtual courses. We got gazillions of them and it's your choice. They range in price from 50 bucks to six, $700. You pick the one you want. We're going to send it to you or enroll you on our learning platform. So you get the course because you asked me a question and I answered it on the podcast. So how chill is that? Have a great week, you guys, till I see you again. I'm Liz Ryan. Thanks for listening.